Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Move Related Show on the planet Earth, the John Campbell Show, coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, some streaming, TV, all that sorts of good stuff. And joining me here today is the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, it's that midweek Wednesday surprise day vibe. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, I'm excited. I'll tell you one thing that's going to happen. After we're done the show today, I'm going to watch WandaVision. I uh, I woke up to just, I mean, it's only like a day, I only got it like a day early, but I got, I woke up this morning, uh, checked my email. And I got my, uh, I got my link to watch the first couple of episodes of WandaVision today. So I wow. guess they're going to launch, they're going to launch with two episodes. They're going to launch with two episodes and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it very much. And you know what else we're looking forward to guys? Doing a show with you guys here, our fellow film fans, talking about all sorts of exciting, cool things. We're going to talk about, you know, did Tom Holland just leak something neat about maybe an Uncharted, maybe a Cherry, maybe a Spider-Man 3 trailer dropping tomorrow? We're going to talk about that. Uh, James Bond looks like it's going to be getting delayed. Did the Ahsoka show just cannibalize the Rebel sequel show that was supposed to happen? All sorts of good things. But listen, guys, before we get into all that stuff, I want to do a little bit of house cleaning here. First of all, if you haven't done so already, or if you're new around here, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. It'll keep you up to date on all the things that we've got going on around here. Also, guys, we're going to let you know that we're going to do this show in two parts. The first half of the show, we cover some predetermined topics that we set up. And then the second half of the show, we take your live comments and questions. And if you want to get a live comment or question in on the show, simply use the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video and just click on it there, or you could enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once again, guys, a lot of times these questions comes in and they're listed as anonymous. That's what happens when you forget to fill in your name. So look at that top line. It says your name. If you guys send in a question, something fun for us to talk about, and you support this channel with a tip, I want to make sure your name gets a shout out. So please make sure you put in your name there, you know, unless you want to remain anonymous, in which case you are more than welcome to do that. Also, guys, of course, want to remind you guys that uh, for over a year, uh, we've been working on a trailer on a, I should say, a documentary about movie trailers, the history of them, how they developed, the major stages they've gone through, why they're important today, some of the problems with them, all that kind of stuff. And our documentary is called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. And it is now available worldwide, whatever country you live in. You can go watch it today at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. Now, if you happen to live in the US or the UK, there is another option for you. You also have the choice of watching it on Amazon. Simply go to Amazon and search for Movie Trailers, A Love Story, and you should be able to find it there. And a deep and special thank you to all of you guys who have already watched it and commented and rated it. Thank you guys so much. The response has been fantastic. Okay, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's move into our main topics today. Now, actually, before we go to our main topics, right, I forgot, we've got one off the top to discuss here. Ooh. Uh, uh, off the top that I overlooked, and I believe it just kind of came out today, but I think I overlooked it earlier, and that is this. One of the big exciting things that we have been waiting for from you know, uh, Disney plus the star Wars universe is the Obi-Wan series. Now, 38 years ago at the last D 23 that I was at, 
You know, Kathleen Kennedy and Hugh McGregor came out on stage and announced that they were going to do an Obi-Wan series. We've been all very excited about it. We know there was a little bit of drama. Production got delayed. They changed scripts, things like that. But everything seems to be back and on course now. Now, one of the interesting things, and by the way, Dino Vader just sent in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you for that, Dino. Appreciate that, man. Um, is the fact that a lot of people are wondering, will Anakin show up in it? Do, will there be other appearances? Could we see Ahsoka in it? But one of the questions that has come up was has been Liam Neeson. Do you think we could see Qui-Gon Jinn? Now, and I started to see, Rob, uh, late last night, early this morning, a whole bunch of chatter going on saying, Rob, did you see? Liam Neeson says he wants to be an Obi-Wan. Liam Neeson has come out and said he wants to be a part of this Obi-Wan show, right? I'm seeing all, all this discussion. So I looked into it. Okay, so here's the basic gist. Liam Neeson was being interviewed and he was directly asked, oh, hey, would you would you like to be in the Obi-Wan series? He was asked the question, would you like to be in the Obi-Wan series? To which he said, literally, this is his complete reply. Sure, I'd be up for that. That was it. Somebody asked him, what, what did we expect Liam Neeson to say? Oh, God, no. God, no. In his, in his rough, girly, uh, grilly uh, Irish accent. God, no. Oh, I hate that. So what do we expect him to say? Sure, I'd be up for it. it. It was like literally a complete throwaway line, but a lot of people are getting excited about it. Look, you guys know how I feel about this kind of stuff. You don't force in and shoehorn in actors into a movie just because. Like the story comes first. If the story already has, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn in it, then by all means, yes, go ahead and get Liam Neeson. And I'm not going to lie. I, I hate the prequels, but I really like Qui-Gon Jinn. So I would be excited about seeing it too. But this is, this is nothing. To, this is one of those stories where there's nothing to see here, Rob. The, a guy was asked a question on record. He said, sure, why not? I'd be up for that. I, I mean, that really isn't anything, but some people are painting a picture of, it's like Liam Neeson decided to do a, you know, a TikTok video where he gets down on his hands and needs to say, Dear Lucasfilm, please let me in the Obi-Wan series. That's how some people are acting. Anyway, Rob, you heard about this. Do you think there's more to it? Maybe I'm underestimating this. I don't know. What would you think about Liam Neeson in the Obi-Wan series? Well, at this point, I think you could ask anybody in Hollywood. You could ask Leonardo DiCaprio or you could ask Brad Pitt. Bruh, you guys want to be in uh, the uh, Obi-Wan or Mandalorian? I think everybody would say, yes. Yes, I would. So I do not. I do not. <laughs> think that it's out of the realm of possibility that we would see Liam Neeson in the Obi-Wan series. What would you think of it? Well, I, you know what I would like to see, actually? I mean, they can't really do it, but, but they have de-aging technology. I, 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 I would love to see more of their relationship in the younger days. You know, they used, they de-aged Luke. I, I, I feel that I, I I would like to see more of them like in the past and maybe flashback scenes that have something to do with what's going on presently. I think I, you know, I just think it'd be what they're doing with these shows is expanding the lore. And they really, I think with at least Favreau and Filoni have really tapped into the idea of what fans want to see. Mm. So, so I think by bringing Liam Neeson back, he's not just going to be a, a false ghost sitting on a, uh, on a, uh, a log, you know, from a certain point of view, I don't think we're going to get any of that. I think we're going to get some really, some real meat. And I think it will happen. I mean, dude, with Luke Skywalker coming back at the end of season two of the Mandalorian, I think anything is possible. <laughs> anything. Oh, I agree. Anything is possible for sure. But I mean, 
I, nothing about that response sounded to me like, oh yeah, this is happening. You know what I mean? And right. Well, I yeah, I, I don't. I, I just don't know. I mean, I haven't heard one way or another if it is, but I I, I think it's probably a pretty good bet. Um, I, I, if it does, I think it would have to be just a quick cameo because I mean, if going by you brought up the Luke situation, if de aging in Mandalorian is an indication. I don't want any de-aging on Liam Neeson. Thank you very much. Like just have him as a force ghost pop up and well, whatever. You know, I don't think they would have to necessarily de-age him very much. You know, I mean, even though it's been 21 years or 22 years since Phantom Menace came out, I think they could get away with makeup and uh, 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 a man bun or whatever. But with Liam, I mean, with, uh, um, uh, Ewan McGregor making him look like classic Obi-Wan from Phantom Menace might be a little bit of a stretch. Right. All right, guys. Question is, what do you think about the story? Maybe you think there's more to it. Th I think this is much ado about nothing. He was asked a question. He said, sure, I'd be up for it. But I don't know. Maybe there's more to it. What do you think he's communicating? Would you want to see Qui-Gon Jinn in the Obi-Wan series? What are your guys' thoughts? Jump down into the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys. With that down, let's now move into those main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime you come across a big story that you think should be a main issue here on the show, head on over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Ricky. And Ricky writes, Hey, John and Rob, let's put our tinfoil hats on for a second. Tom Holland recently put out a tweet that stated, January 14th, 2021, meaning something is coming on Thursday, my, which is tomorrow now. My question is, what do you think it could be? After all, we were supposed to get a Spider-Man 3 trailer by the end of 2020. He does have a lot of projects coming this year, but which one could it be? Could this mean we are getting this Spidey trailer or another one of his projects, like maybe Cherry? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, dude. And yes, Tom Holland, who has never been shy about letting beans spill, did jump on his social media the other day, and he put out this little cryptic message here that just Tom Holland... January 14th, 2021, with a little winky face. Tom Holland's got to get in the little winky face. It's always got to be there and be a part of it. So clearly something is coming tomorrow. The question is, what is it that's coming? There are a couple of options. He has three major projects coming out uh, this year. There might even be a fourth one. Oh, yeah, it might be. It, didn't they push? Did they push? What's the one he's doing with uh, Daisy Ridley again? Uh, what's that one called again? Chaos, Chaos, Chaos Walking. Walking. Is that, did they push that to 2022 or is, this, is that coming out 2021 as well? That might be 2021. 2021. But we've seen a lot of stuff from that. So yeah. there are a few things. I think there are a few possibilities of what this, this mystery thing coming on January 14th might be. Let's take a look at the, the prime suspects here, okay, of what this could be. The most likely one. But there could be a big asterisk to this. But one of the most likely ones is the one that's coming the soonest. On February 26th is when we're supposed to get Cherry, the one he's done with the Russo brothers. Now, the one thing about that is 
we've already had our first look at Cherry. Like just a few days ago, we got our first look at Cherry. They actually dropped something online uh, for their for their first look at Cherry. It looks pretty good, by the way. Uh, Donnie and Mark Wahlberg's nephew is in it, by the way. There's another Wahlberg coming, Rob. We all needed another Wahlberg. Uh, actually, I like the Wahlbergs, whatever. So Cherry is a big option. The pro of it is it's the thing coming the soonest. The one thing that makes me think maybe not is that a few days we already got our first look at it. So, I mean, that's a possibility. Another possibility is the one that's coming on July 16th, theoretically, of course, and it's done shooting, it's completed shooting, and that is, of course, Uncharted, coming July 16th. The big thing going for that one, again, is that it comes a lot sooner than Spider-Man 3. It is completely done its shooting. And uh, it might be time for us to get our first look. People have been really clamoring to get a look at this thing. This very well could be it. It it could be that one. Now, of course, the other option is our first look at Spider-Man 3, which is supposed to come out on December 17th, 2021. Now, just to clarify, they never said that we were going to get our first trailer for Spider-Man 3 before the end of 2020. What was specifically said was that we were going to get our first look at Spider-Man 3. So maybe it's a short 15-second thing. Maybe it's something else, whatever. But they were saying that we were going to get a look at Spider-Man 3 before the end of 2020, even though it's a long ways off. So obviously, the biggest argument and case to be made for this little thing that that Tom Holland is teasing about could be Spider-Man. We were supposed to get something before the end of 2020. We didn't. Here we are now in January. Maybe this is the time. So, Rob, we look at these three options. Cherry coming out on February 26th, Uncharted, July 16th, Spider-Man 3, December 17th. I suppose Chaos Walking could be as well, but we've already had a couple of trailers for that. So I I don't know if they'd make a big deal out of a new Chaos Walking trailer. So, Rob, let me ask you, what do you think Tom Holland is talking about when he teases January 14th, 2021? What do you think? Well, I don't want to be that guy, but we're missing one. Oh, there is a movie directed by Joe and Anthony Russo called Cherry that they dropped a trailer for that Tom Holland stars in. Dude, I was just talking about I just said Cherry is is the February 26, 2021. I was just talking about that. What do you mean I'm missing that? I'm not missing that. It's, it it's right. It's right there. I, I was. You know what? I thought that was a chaos walking picture. That's no, my no, no. Fault. Sorry. But, yes. But Cherry I 2021. I think it's that because they dropped that lame teaser trailer that just showed him sitting there right I, I was mistaken i was like i was listening to you going uh no but yeah i think that's what it's going to be for because they didn't drop the whole trailer you know they only gave us that weird he's kind of staring into the camera thing and um i think it's that i think it would be that see because- i just i just the only reason i wonder about that because i mean look it's coming the soonest it's coming next month the only thing i wonder about is do you tease something when we just had something for that same movie, I, I don't know, but it is, but there it is a really high half, possibility. It was only half of it. Yeah. It was you know, a minute it, 30 long. It seemed more like a scene clip than a trailer. Yes. Yes. So I think that, and it is Joe and Anthony Russo. And you know, this, I'm curious about this movie because you know, it's about, he, he's like, a, he's a, he's like a, a medic or something that has post-traumatic stress syndrome and he becomes addicted to opioids and bank robs banks to pay for his addiction. It's something. a terrific, it's a terrific scenario. Yeah, it's a terrific and it, scenario. James Franco was either going to be in it or he was going to direct it, something. 
Oh, I don't remember. Oh, wait a second. I think now I do remember something about that. Yeah, yeah. like I said, that's why I think the mo the most likely scenario is probably Cherry. Again, it's coming in just about six or seven weeks. Um, we haven't had a full trailer for it yet. That is the most likely scenario. But again, they said we were going to get something for Spider-Man 3 before the end of 2020, and we didn't. So maybe we get a first peek at that. Maybe it's something to do with Uncharted. It could be any of those things. Yeah, Question I mean, is, so he's got four movies coming out yeah, this year. Yeah, when you count Chaos Walking as a part of it. Yeah, because of, you know, the way things have been bumped Doesn't around. Does he have a fifth? Isn't there something else coming out that he's in? I There might be something else that he's in, but I don't think there's anything else that he's leading at this point. I'd have to look into that. But I mean, that, I mean, that goes back. Somebody wrote in a few weeks ago and asked, hey, isn't isn't Tom Holland pushing it a little bit? Isn't he risking overexposure by having that. for his movies come out? It's like, Tom Holland has no say in when these movies come out. I mean, Chaos Walking was supposed to come out in 2019. <laughs> I mean, so, right. and Spider-Man, right. I mean, so all these things have been moved around. It's no fault. His question is for you guys. What do you think he's talking about? It is most likely Cherry, but maybe there's arguments to be made about maybe it's the other things. What one do you hope it is? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Omar94. And Omar94 writes, Hey, John and Rob, if he's here, he is here as a matter of fact. Huge fan since AMC days from Florida. This is probably a dumb question, but what exactly do cinematographers do? I mean, how influential are they at, with how movies and TV shows look? Because directors are the ones saying how they want the shots and scenes to look, where to place the camera and where to move it during a shot. So in a sense, it makes me feel like directors are the actual cinematographers. Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, you are not the first person to ask the question, what is actually a cinematographer. We hear the term, a director of photography, cinematographer. For the most part, those are two interchangeable terms. So, wait a minute, I thought it was called director of photography. Yeah, a DOP or a cinematographer, kind of one of the same person normally. But what do they do? And it's, it's understandable that there is this bit of confusion because like you see the director or we think of the director saying, I want this shot and I do this and blah, blah, blah. So what is it the cinematographer does exactly? The best way... I know that I think of to describe it is this. Think of a costume designer, right? Think of a costume designer. The costume designer is the expert on designing costumes. The costume designer will design the costumes, but they still take their lead from the director. The director will tell the costume designer what it is they're kind of looking for, but it's then the costume the designer that then does make sure that the director gets what it, what it is he or she wants, that they get those costumes that way. And they'll show the director, here's all the sketches I have for the various costumes. And the director may look, say, yeah, I like that one, but instead of black, make it red or something like that. But it's still the costume the designer that does all that work. Now, think of that in the same terms of the cinematographer. The director may, may say, look, they have storyboards and say, I want different ty these types of shots. But now, just like it's the costumes designer's job to bring that into being and actually make it work using their expertise to make it happen, now it's the cinematographer's job to go about 
executing it the best way possible to get it to what the director's vision was. Uh, there's actually a masterclass on it. And I, I lifted this from the masterclass, but it's a good thing. This is what they describe cinematography as. A cinematographer, also known as a director of photography, is in charge of the camera and the lighting crew. They are the person responsible for creating the look, color, lighting, and framing of every single shot in a film. The film's director and cinematographer work closely together as the main job of the cinematographer is to ensure that their choices support the director's overall vision for the film, just like a costume designer uh, or a set designer or whatever. The cinematographer may also act as the camera operator on more low-budget productions. So, yeah, yes, it, it's absolutely true. We will see the director calling out things, but they do that for all aspects of, of the film production. But on a proper film set, that cinematographer is the actual responsibility. It's the actual person responsible for creating the look of the film, you know? And they take their lead from the director like every department does, but that's their job. So all the camera people and lighting people and all their crew, they work for the cinematographer. So anyway, Rob, you have worked on more of these sets. You've certainly, you've been on sets of Lord of the Rings and all these sorts of things. When somebody asks you, what's a cinematographer? Why are they important? How do you address it? How do you, <clears throat> what do you tell them? Well, I, you know, I've often used or heard the, the term painting with light. So, uh, uh, so imagine if you walk into a room that's very brightly lit and you just turn on all the lights and everything is basically uniform. The light just is all bright and it's all one color. Now imagine if you're making say a horror film and you want to have pools of light throughout the room, you want to make like in the distance darker so somebody can come out of say a closet door or from behind a, so a, a, barren room that, you know, that might be dressed completely can be totally painted with light, with shadows, with colored gels, with all kinds of things you could take. So a, like a, a set is a bare canvas, but then the cinematographer and his team comes along and they might hang eight or 10 different kinds of lights using shapes across the light to create shafts of light. I mean, there's a million different things a great cinematographer can do that even a director can set up, you know, the kind of shot you want or even the framing. But a cinematographer's crew and the cinematographer can turn that into a beautiful canvas of, of all kinds of different lights and shadows that only a cinematographer knows how to do. And uh, invaluable. It's an invaluable skill that cannot be uh, ever diminished. So hopefully that answers that question. I know a lot of people wonder about that. It's a totally logical question to ask. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight into it. Anyway, guys, how would you add to the description of what a cinematographer does? Is it a question you've thought about before? Are there other roles in filmmaking that you've often hear about, but you're not quite sure what it is? Jump on down into the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Rainmaker23, who writes, A new report from Kessel Run Transmissions, who have successfully leaked tons of Star Wars-related stuff, is reporting that the previously reported-on animated Rebel sequels show is being scrapped, with its story now being used for the live-action Ahsoka show. Do you think this is the right decision? What are your Thoughts. Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in, Rainmaker. And yes, 
there is a report going around uh, from a YouTube channel that has has nailed some stuff before about the possibility that this upcoming Ahsoka show, this live-action Ahsoka show that we had the great Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka, which was, uh, I mean, this is coming from a guy who's never liked the Ahsoka character. Fabulous episode, fabulous iteration of that character. Uh, and now they're going to be doing Ahsoka's own show, which uh, I think a lot of people are very excited about, understandably so. But they're now saying that this is kind of cannibalizing the Rebel show. It says this, this is what comes to us from comic book movie who say, interestingly, it's suggested that scripts from the scrapped animated sequel series to Star Wars Rebels a show I really liked, by the way, are being used for the show, the Ahsoka show, with the plan reportedly for Ahsoka to lead into spinoffs like maybe an Ezra and a Thrawn show. I doubt that. But anyway, Ahsoka will be the story that the successor was supposed to be. Okay, so that's what they're saying this is. It's kind of cannibalizing uh, the previous what was going to be a Rebels follow-up series. My first thought is... Didn't we all already know this? Was, wasn't this obvious already? Isn't this what we all assumed? Like, look, the moment Ahsoka showed up and said, after her combat said, where's your master? Where is Thrawn? As soon as she said that, I think that was a cue to all of us that, yeah, Ahsoka's getting her own series, which a lot of people suspected already. But I think it made it clear that now this Ahsoka thing was going to be pursuing the ending of the Rebel series. Of course, for those of you who may not know, Rebels ends with uh, Ahsoka and Sabine Wren getting together to go off on a search for Ezra, who disappeared with Thrawn, right? That's how Rebels ends. It ends with those two going off on a search for their friend Ezra, who was with Thrawn on Thrawn's Star Destroyer. Because they were taken into outer space by space whales. Don't even get me started on the stupid space whales. But aside from that. So I, I think at that point, it kind of became clear and obvious. This Ahsoka show is kind of going to be the spiritual follow-up to how Rebels ended. So yeah, for me personally, I completely believe the report. Because I think the report is what we were all kind of assuming anyway. I don't know about there being a spinoff Ezra show and a spinoff uh, Thrawn show. I, I don't think I don't know. And I don't think they're going to go in that direction. Anything's possible, of course, but I don't think they're going to go in that direction. But yeah, this seems to make most sense. It seems to be what they were telegraphing to us with that one Mandalorian episode. So to me, yeah, I believe the report because it's what I think we were all thinking anyway already. Rob, you hear about this. What do you think about the notion of that direction for an Ahsoka show and maybe cannibalizing some of what some of the script ideas were for a Rebels animated spinoffs or sequel series? What do you think? Well, I think a lot of, of studios, you know, there's a lot of things that go into development and don't get made and then get repurposed later. I mean, famously, uh, Die Hard 2 was based on a script called, I think it was called 57 Minutes. And it wasn't a diehard script. Same with Die Hard with a Vengeance was based on a script called Simon Says that wasn't a diehard script. But in the case of Star Wars, you know, they've got that live action series that apparently they that never got made that they have all those scripts for, which which I could see being cannibalized for Boba Fett. So it makes sense to me that they would take these ideas that they developed for Rebels and are repurposing them because, I mean, I think that's actually a pretty good good thing to do. I mean, sure, they're probably going to have to rewrite them. 
But it makes sense that all of this development work, work that's already been done, is repurposed and finally used. I think that's a smart uh, use of their resources, so it doesn't surprise me. And by the way, guys, I would recommend if you want to know uh, more about Thrawn, there are uh, not going back to the uh, heir to the Empire of uh, novels that came out a long time ago. Though those are great, but the new canon era Thrawn books, uh, one one or two are better is better than the other. But if you want to do that, you should go check those out. It gives you a very different picture of Thrawn, a very very. And I'd be curious, Rob, when they do Mandalorian. Oh, sorry, when they do the Ahsoka show, here's the thing. Right now in Star Wars canon, there are two very different Thrawns. Like two very, very different Thrawns. Let me see if I can find this. Um, because the one Thrawn we've had in Rebels. We've had Rebels, the Rebels Thrawn, who is very much a villain, uh, who is very much like this uh, calculating, evil mastermind guy, right? Dead serious, whatever, very classy, but, you know, very evil mastermind. The other Thrawn, though, is the Thrawn that they have, that they are they say is canon, is the Thrawn we have in the books. As a matter of fact, the Thrawn novels even reference events in Rebels. As you get further into the Thrawn books, they reference the events in Rebels. But the Thrawn that they portray in the novels is very much a hero. He has a sense of honor. He has a sense of decency, not just honor. Like there's a lot of villains that have like this weird sense of honor, but the Thrawn in the books has a clear sense of decency, of loyalty, of basically he's the hero of these books. Well, John, every villain is the hero of their own story. Yeah, but I mean, even as a reader, Thrawn's a hero. He's a good guy in these books. My point is, is that the Thrawn we get in the books that are canon is very distinct and different of an iteration from the Thrawn we get in the animated show. So my question is, when we come to Ahsoka, which Thrawn are we going to get? Because remember, Cobb Vanth, the marshal from Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, He's in the canon novels too, but they changed him up a bit for the live action show. So I can't help but wonder, Rob, are they going to go with the more villainous Thrawn from the animated show? Will they go with the more good guy heroic, but just on the Empire side Thrawn from the books? Or will they play with it a little bit and find a middle ground and say he, he'll be more like an anti, he'll be more like a Loki, you know? Bad guy, but kind of good guy. Sometimes, I, I I don't know. What do you think is their best approach for this, Rob? How do you think they should approach Thrawn when they get into the Ahsoka series? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Thrawn because I read that Thrawn trilogy. You know, I devoured it when it first came out. So good. Yeah, and I've got, I even, you know, I was even looking, Dark Horse did a um, comic adaptation of that trilogy as well that I have in hardcover book form that I was looking at not too long ago. I I think he's going to be, Probably a noble anti-hero because one of the things that I, I I saw like in the Mandalorian, that scene with Bill Burr when they were talking, you know, in that base. And that was that great scene where Bill Burr asks the guy about that horrible massacre of civilians. And we learned a lot from that exchange about the Empire. And I, I think that if anything, Thrawn is going to be portrayed as a guy 
who is noble and who has good intentions. Like he, I, he probably believes, man, he's like, you know, the empire brought order to the galaxy. And then, and I, he, he's probably like, I would imagine what he would be, what the empire could or should have been, as opposed to being an evil planet destroying empire. Like he'd represent what the empire could be and maybe might be if he succeeds. And uh, maybe he winds up being a very tragic figure because he was going to re- remake the galaxy in his own image. And then it became the first order and just full of douchebags. But who knows? <laughs> you know, but, but listen, seriously, guys, if you are interested, I would recommend going back and reading uh, again the first Thrawn book. Let me just see if I can uh, bring it up here properly. Um, the first Thrawn book in the new uh, the new series is just called Thrawn. You can right. get it on Amazon because it explains and describes how did Thrawn, and it talks a lot about his race, the Chiss Empire. Uh, it talks about, it describes and shows us how he came to be in the Empire, his first meetings with Palpatine, um, and how he advanced through the Imperial ranks. It is really interesting and good backstory. So I would recommend checking that if you get a chance. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think? About all that. What do you think about them doing Thrawn, about Ahsoka cannibalizing maybe some of the Rebels things? It is a pretty efficient use of things. You don't want to let those scripts go to waste. What do you think they're going to do? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, let's move into main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Edward. And Edward writes, Hi, John. News just broke out that Bethesda, I always mispronounce this, Bethesda, a creator of famous games like Doom, Skyrim, and Fallout, has just announced that they're working with the newly branded Lucasfilms Games to create an Indiana Jones game. Just wanted to ask, what are your thoughts on this? And if you're excited for it, thanks. Okay, man, thanks a lot for saying that in. And yeah, if you missed it the other day, they put out this te- this little teaser bite. It's like 20 seconds long. And all it is is a camera panning across a desk with Indiana, some of Indiana's books, his iconic hat and whip and things like that. Basically explaining we've got an Indiana Jones game coming. Am I excited about this? Oh, hell yes, I am. I am very excited about this. Anyway, this comes to us from the folks over at Screen Rant who writes, while the contents of the game are unknown at this point, the fact that there's an Indiana Jones game in development at all is exciting news. The franchise has been absent from mainstream video games for a while now, with Lego Indiana Jones arguably the last popular release involving the property. Bethesda's acquisition by Microsoft was always likely to give the company even more freedom in tackling exciting IPs and potential licenses But even still, the announcement of a new Indiana Jones game from a company as high profile as Bethesda is a major surprise. All right. So look, this is really exciting to me because there's a couple things here, Rob. You and I could probably name five video game franchises that in either in their entirety or in aspects try to be an Indiana Jones, but in video game format. Like so many have tried to do it, uh, some better than others. Uncharted is a great example of that. Tomb Raider, in many ways, is basically they're basically Indiana Jones adventures. To actually do Indiana Jones, 
with all the backstory and mythology and all the open options and things and opportunities you could do with it in any time period you want. You could have much younger Indy. You could have Indy in his prime Indy. You could have older Indy. I mean, you can do whatever you want with these games. It is a great idea. Now, just like movies, concept is great, but it's meaningless unless you execute. So just because it's Indiana Jones doesn't mean the game will be good. But I would be lying to you, Rob, if I didn't tell you I'd be excited about jumping into the world of Indiana Jones and playing a game like that. Now, because the parent thing here is Bethesda, one of the big questions that's come around, Rob, is, well, since they're owned by Microsoft, does that mean any Indiana Jones game would be an Xbox exclusive? Yeah. The I worry about that because I have a PS4. I'm going to get a PS5. But... The thing is, would Lucasfilm allow a game to be one console exclusive? I mean, the argument you could make, too, is that, that well, look, even if it is an Xbox exclusive, Xbox exclusives can be played on PC and everybody's got a PC. So, I mean, that that's an option there, too. So I don't know. Look, let's stick with the main topic. Am I excited for the potential of an Indiana Jones game? Absolutely am. To jump, it's, it's kind of like that same thing, Rob. I like, not all Star Wars games are great, let's be honest. No. But I... But I love jumping into a Star Wars game, even if it's a terrible game for a bit, because it just it feels like it takes you into the world of Star Wars. And if they can do that for Indiana Jones, then it's already a win for me. Anyway, Rob, you heard about this. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I think in Indiana Jones, t- tell me this. When you were a kid, did you ever play Pitfall? Oh, Atar- yes, I did. Yes, now, I did. In your, in your mind, wasn't Pitfall totally Indiana Jones? Yes, absolutely it was. I, I mean, I was like, this is a Raiders Lost Ark game. And, uh, you know, I think I, every time I've played Uncharted, I'm like, this is kind of the cousin of an Indiana Jones game, you know? <laughs> and if they do an ultimate, like, a combination of sandbox game and an Uncharted with Indiana Jones, I'm like, I'm in. And like you said, what if they did like a, decade-spanning story, kind of like how in Last Crusade it starts with Indiana Jones as a kid. And what if they did that and you got to see Indiana Jones in multiple eras throughout the 20th century and it was all tied together in this giant story? Dude, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm stoked, man. I'd love to get an awesome, modern, modern technology, PlayStation 5, you know, Xbox One, whatever, modern indiana jones game i i I think it could be great can you imagine the graphics i mean you know he's penetrating some temple i mean the graphics on uncharted when that when it first came out and then you compare it to like that car was it an uncharted 4 where they have that extended truck chase thief's end i that might have been that might have been that was that was amazing i remember seeing a, a, a um a a like a playthrough video of that before the game had come out and i'm like this is incredible. And uh, with the with the kind of graphics they could do now, you know, they could do stuff we've never seen before. I, I think it'd be awesome. I can't wait. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential here, guys. This could be, I mean, obviously the game could suck, absolutely. But yeah. I love that they're going to be giving it a shot. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Are you excited for an Indiana Jones game? Do you think maybe the time of Indiana Jones has come and gone? But I don't know, man. I'm pretty stoked for it. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number five. And our fifth main topic today gets submitted to us by Darren Friesen. And Darren Friesen writes, 
Hey, John and crew. I remember you saying you weren't going to get excited anymore about any release dates until they're actually about to open because you just don't trust their ability to hold those dates with the pandemic. Well, not only has Morbius been moved, I'm seeing stories that No Time to Die is about to be moved off its April 2nd date. Are we ever... Are we ever going to see this movie? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Darren. And yeah, but listen, one of the movies we have been very excited to see, obviously, is James Bond, No Time to Die. We've been waiting very patiently for this movie for a while. It obviously got bumped, moved into April. We heard just recently Morbius was going to be moving. And now it looks like, according to a pretty reliable source over at Deadline, that we're probably also going to see James Bond, No Time to Die, move again. This comes to us from the folks at Deadline who write, in what should not be a shocker, we are hearing that MGM slash Eon's No Time to Die is bound to move from its Easter weekend release date of April 2nd to sometime in the fall, as the world awaits for the pandemic to come under control. Several sources inform us this morning. Uh, note, the UK is a key market in No Time to Die's rollout, and they are facing a similar situation as the US. They don't know exactly when exhibition will be fully back up and running. So that comes to us from the folks over at Deadline. Now, look, it's hard to talk about this without also bringing up the situation with Morbius, because the situation with Morbius was very, very similar. We had Morbius that was supposed to come out in just a couple of months here. But the reality is that it's going to take a little bit for them to roll out these vaccinations. Like even if, even if under the best possible outcomes and the most optimistic forecasts, let's say, you know, the new presidential administration is about to come in. Joe Biden says they're going to have 100 million vaccinations or their goal is going to have 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days. Okay, even if they're able to do that, and that's an if. You know, March and April are still a little too early. That's still too early. You know, Rob, you and I were talking before the show started, and we're talking about, it's like, I think the best optimistic guess is, is probably mid to late May, probably more realistically June or July is when we're really probably more realistic. And that's if things go well, if things go well. So when they announced the Morbius move, it was no surprise. Nobody should have been surprised. We're not in a position yet that we can say, hey, in like eight weeks, we can put out Morbius and all the theaters. We just weren't in that type of a situation. And I think an April date is a little too soon. Now, the good news is they're not talking about moving No Time to Die to Christmas or to, you know, sometime into 2022. They're talking about bumping it a couple of months, probably into the fall. That to me feels a lot safer that to me feels like a more realistic target. Again, we never know what's going to happen. Who knows? But I think it was already clear to us that April probably wasn't going to work. When they moved, when Morbius got moved, I think it became abundantly clear that early, early April was also not going to work. So I am at one hand not surprised at all that they're going to be, they're moving James Bond No Time to Die a little bit. And I'm also not all that upset about it. Like, again, it's just a few months. I think this is a rational move. We've already been waiting for a while. I'm willing to wait a little bit longer to get this movie. Rob, I know you have been very, uh, had a lot of anticipation. You've been very excited for this. You hear about this move. Two questions. Is it the right move for them to do right now? And how do you feel about it now being bumped off another couple of months? Well, of all the movies that are coming out, first of all, everyone knows how disappointed I would be. I mean, 
Uh, I've never a, a movie that would almost be pushed 18 months from its original release date at a big movie like this. But this is a film that has a reported production budget of $250 million, not even including marketing. So of all the movies coming out, it's the most expensive of these tentpole pictures, franchise pictures. It has to have a global theatrical release, really, to, to have any chance of becoming profitable. And even if, like, is it true if they got $600 million, it, they could pay it off? Yes. You know, that's why they're asking for that much money from these streaming services. But they really need not just a, a theatrical release, but they need a theatrical release where all the theaters around the planet Earth are open. Not 65% or 70%. They need basically all the theaters open. And right now, they're they're not going to get that. And I think they really don't have a choice. And I don't think it's a reflection on the quality of the movie. I'm sure the movie's great. Even Spectre, which I couldn't stand, made money. So I think they just, they don't, they don't have a choice. And if they only move it a couple months and we're still in the situation we're in, I bet they'll move it again. But they've got to, you know, they got to ramp up. They got a huge marketing campaign and money behind this film with product placement and partners and I mean, I can only imagine how frustrating this has to be to the studio and to the Broccoli family, man. And I'll tell you one thing, John, I could die soon. And if I don't get to see this movie, I'm going to be <laughs> sitting down in the afterlife going, come on, God, did you have to strike me down now? Couldn't you have at least, I mean, I braved this pandemic. I didn't get a few more months to like, you know, get my bond on one last time. You know what? I remember, Rob, back in the, the the early days of the pandemic let's go back to march dude um uh, actually even like late february and early march and you know we had just found out that cinema con had been canceled we had just found out that comic con had been canceled and all this kind of stuff and i remember a bright-eyed bushy-tailed optimistic john campia saying don't worry <laughs> I, I mean everybody's gonna take this seriously we're all going to do the right thing and we'll be back in theaters by July, not July, 2021. <laughs> I was like, we're going to be back in theaters by July. Well, the world has a way of jading your optimism a lot. So, but I think, I feel like today it's a little bit different today because I feel like we actually have something tangible that has started the countdown clock on the pandemic. I mean, now we actually have vaccinations. They're in the process. We, we do actually see a light at the end of the tunnel at yeah. this point. So it's a little bit more tangible now. I don't feel like we're just being optimistic. But, you know, Rob, I was saying, I believe, obviously April was far too soon. I still think minimum, we're talking mid to late May, but realistically, I feel like we're talking more June or July um, I wouldn't be surprised if it became like an August, but I feel like June, July is knowing how badly the theaters want to get open up again, how badly these studios want to get their movies out, out there. Where, where are you thinking is a realistic uh, goal? Not pessimistic, not overly optimistic, but where do you think is a, a fairly realistic goal when we can look at that? Yeah. Movies can come out and be open in theaters in this window. When do you think that is? Well, you know, the, the pandemic, especially in this country, is raging out of control. It's the worst it's ever been. And and even with a vaccine, I, I don't see this fall. I, I would say maybe September. 
I mean, Biden has said that he wants what uh, you said before the show started was a hundred million, hundred million vaccinations 100 million in the first hundred days. In the first hundred days. I mean, that might be great, but even if people are vaccinated, are they going to go back to movie theaters? I mean, I think what's going to have to happen is once people are vaccinated, after that, it's going to be a couple more months where people are going to have to see: has this vaccination really? Is it working? Are is COVID? Are they? Are the rates dropping precipitously? And if they are, then people might start venturing out. But until then, I think it's going to take a while, man. Even with the vaccine. Yeah, and and by the way, there's still a lot of big ifs with the vaccine. Okay, yeah, they're saying hundred vac hundred million vaccinations in the first hundred days. That's ambitious, though. Can they actually hit those numbers? Will it take longer than that? Will the effectiveness of the vac vaccine? Uh, prove out to what they're saying their lab results were. I mean, there's so many questions still in the air. But what right about now, you? What does your gut tell you? Uh, my my gut's telling me June, July. I, I think the because the, there's there's a there's a balance of um, all the stuff that you accurately described with the balance of the studios, the theater industry. I mean, a lot of people just want the economy going again to get to to push it out. So I'm thinking June, July right now. But I could see it being pushed to August, September. Yeah, uh, that's, well, that's uh, my pessimism yeah. is my overly optimistic thing is late May. My realistic goal for me is June, July. My little more pessimistic would be August, September. Um, but I certainly think. But again, that's with a lot of variables still up in the air. Will okay, I got another one. Okay. Do you think there's going to be San Diego Comic Con this year? Oh, dude, you know what's funny? It's funny you bring that up uh, because. You got. You guys know that I do a panel at Comic Con every year called the Masters of the Web panel. They invite me there every year to do that. Um, the one of the main programming directors of all of Comic Con, uh, I was just emailing with, and I was like, "Well, man, here's hoping to a better 2021." Oh, <laughs> I, from what I understand, and I, I don't want to break any confidences here. Um, from what I understand. They are planning on having a San Diego Comic-Con in July. Um, but as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Right. So they are right now planning. I'm, oh, I you know, know what? let me say this. Okay, I'll say this. <laughs> having a Comic-Con is far more problematic than having an open movie theater. Yes. Because- Comic-Con, if any of you guys are veterans of various conventions, Comic-Con, without a pandemic, every year you can expect to get the Comic-Con crud, as uh, as a lot of people describe. Because I, I, every other year I get sick at Comic-Con because you're walking through... Uh, this big thing of of you know hundred thousand other people shoulder to shoulder scraping by. Half of them haven't showered. Half of them haven't changed their clothes since they got to San Diego, and like inevitably, half the time I end up getting sick at Comic Con anyway because like you're it just becomes a petri dish. In a pandemic era, I'll say this: it will be you can have movie theaters open and not have Comic Con. You cannot have Comic Con and not have movie theaters. So I. I'm a little bit more pessimistic about actually having San Diego Comic-Con this year. I'm a little more optimistic about movie theaters being open by July. But let's put it this way. I'm not saying it can't happen, 
but I will be surprised, delightfully surprised, if we get a live in-person San Diego Comic-Con this year. What do you th- you think? Do you think we're going to get Comic-Con this year? No. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I, I mean, dude, I love Comic-Con. It's, it's you know, one of the highlights of my year. It has been for... I, I yes, last year would have been my thirty second Comic Con consecutive Comic Con, and and it, it is a highlight of my year, and and I just I can't see it happening for the reasons you just so eloquently laid out. Yep. All right. Anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about this uh, upcoming bump for James Bond? To me, it makes common sense. Do you think they will be able to make a fall date? I feel pretty good that it can. A lot of things up in the air though right now. Guys, what's your opinion on this? Jump down to the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions. Once again, the way you get a live comment or question on the show, simply go into the description of this video and you'll see the tip link near the top. Simple, or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here involved with the show, thank you guys very, very much for that support. All right, let's get into it, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Island Boy, who writes, Hey, John, big fan from the Bahamas. Thank you. So I think that's the first time I've heard somebody say they're writing in from the Bahamas. That's awesome. Thank you, man. You probably already answered this before. But who is your favorite main Seinfeld character out of the four and your favorite recurring character, i.e. Uncle Leo, etc.? Mine is Georgie Boy and Frank Costanza. They are hilarious. Well, I'm going to agree with one and disagree with the other. My favorite character, I mean, it's stereotypical to say, but is is just Jerry. Uh, Jerry's hilarious. I mean, obviously, Kramer's obviously really great, too. I like all the main characters, but Jerry's my favorite my favorite recurring side character, though, is absolutely Ben Stiller's dad, Frank Costanza. Um, you know, Festivus, whatever else. Just the character is so great. I'm easily going to go. My favorite. So my favorite character is Jerry. My favorite recurring character is uh, George's dad. Rob, what about you? Oh, no, you've never seen Seinfeld. No, you've never seen The Office. No, I've never seen Seinfeld either. What? Never seen, never seen. I shouldn't say that. I've never seen an entire episode from start to finish. Really? Uh, you want to you hear something else? This is going to blow your mind. I had never seen a full episode of Cheers until two weeks ago. Really? Well, see, I can see Cheers wasn't as popular as The Office or Seinfeld, so I, I, I can believe that. But really, Elizabeth, Elizabeth started going back to watch the first season of Cheers. I just. When I was growing up, when, once I had a VCR, I became like a movie-only guy. I watch mm. I watch a lot of television as a kid, and then I stopped watching TV. I only watch movies. But I have to say, I watched a lot of the first season of Cheers, and I loved it. Cheers is like, great. This is a great show. I really need to – I think if there's one thing I need to start doing is filling in those massive pop culture holes in my sitcom knowledge because so much of our, of our culture – uses sitcoms as a touchstone and i really need to go back i mean like i know who the soup nazi is you know and and i and i know the characters i've just and i i get the show like i sit down and i'm like okay i understand this but i've always been of the impression that well once you've seen one episode you've seen them all and that's not entirely true no so you know going back and watching cheers i found the whole thing really funny and and charming 
And now I'm like, I wonder what the difference is between Shelley Long and Kirstie Alley. What happens when Coach dies and Woody Harrelson comes in? I mean, I need to know this now. And then Frazier shows up. Frazier right, gets Frazier's in there because right. everybody forgets. That's where Frazier show, came. Yeah. Yep. But, and you know, it's funny. Ted Danson. Look, when it when it's all said and done and everybody looks back on Ted Danson's career whenever he retires, they'll, they'll, the first thing people will think of is Cheers, probably. Um, but he has continued to have a very successful television career ever since Cheers ended. I mean, just recently he did The Good Place, which some people, a lot of people say The Good Place, like people were really into that show or like it's a top 10 show of all time. There are people who, like The Good Place is a very, very, very good show. But he just had a new show just debut called, I think it's called Mr. Mayor, where he plays a brand new mayor of Los Angeles. They've only had two episodes come out. Holly Hunter is in it. And it's not bad. It's not bad. So anyway, sorry, we're I've getting sidetracked for it, but I haven't seen the show. Yeah, it's 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 actually pretty clever. I don't know that's going to get a second season, but I think it's pretty clever. All right, let's move on here. Next up. That, thanks again for that, Island Boy. Next up, we got uh, what as... Add little life Jane writes, uh, Hey John, Mary, uh, whatever the hell miss, uh, in the UK here, I'm sitting in lockdown again. I saw on Twitter, Jared Leto did a documentary that airs tonight. I hadn't even heard about it, but it looks pretty good. A day in the life of America. It's called seemed relevant. I am not familiar with it at all. Rob, have you heard of this, this Jared Leto documentary that he apparently did? Uh, nope. I, I have not. I'll tell you what, though. Thank you very much for putting that on our radar because I want to go and see what this is about. If you guys in the live chat uh, had a chance to see this. Anyway, yeah, I think this uh, that sounds interesting, but I've never even heard of it. I will keep my eyes open. Thank I'd again. watch that. Yeah, thanks again for putting that on our radar. All right, Carlos S. writes, Hey, John, I recently binge watched two of my favorite miniseries of all time, Band of Brothers, love that, and The Pacific. Did you hear Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg are in the works for a new series based on the novel Masters of Air on Apple TV? I had heard something about that. Tom Hanks is getting very busy lately. Uh, by the way, I'm still waiting to see News of the World. Like I, I, Me too. I cannot I wait. wait. I think it's only like, I think it's in a week or so that it finally drops yeah. on uh, on streaming. So I'm very excited about that. But in the last 10, 15 years, he has kept himself very, very busy also behind the things. Not a lot of people realize this, Rob, but one of my all-time favorite under-the-radar movies is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It is a marvelous, marvelous, wonderful movie that I think set the record I have to go back and check this, Rob, but I believe my Big, Big Fat Creek Wedding holds the record for the longest run in the top 10 at the box office without mm. ever being number one. It was, if I remember it right, it was never number one at the box office, but it stayed in the top 10 for a record length of time, made all types of money, and nobody would touch it. Nobody thought it was good until Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson came along. And they saw the potential in it and they produced the film and along came. So I just, I love Tom Hanks as a producer, man, because he gave us Big Fat Creek Wedding, him and Rita Wilson. All right, next up. Uh, let's see, that was Carlos. Uh, next one up is Mark 2021 writes, Hey, John, 
I never really hear anybody else ask for a Yoda Chronicles movie. Uh, would be cool to see his early years and how he started off. After all, he is one of the most powerful Jedi ever. Do you think one day we will get this? Well, listen, we live in an era right now where every all the streaming services, including Disney Plus, are going to be desperate for, for content. So Yoda, being a very popular Star Wars character, becomes a possibility. Personally, I'm not interested. I'm... I'm I, I want Star Wars to continue to expand. We don't need more the early days of this character, the early days of that. I'm kind of over that. Now, I say that, but obviously, if they dropped a season of the Yoda, the young Yoda Chronicles tomorrow, obviously, I'll watch it. But I would much rather them focus their attention on other things. But it's definitely a possibility. It is definitely a possibility. All right, Scott Brown writes, the conclusion I've come to with Wonder Woman 84 after seeing it and being disappointed in it and all the reviews I've watched and questions people have asked on your show about the plot holes and contradictions is that's just one of the dumbest movies I've seen. I don't know, Rob. I don't, I don't know that. Listen, Wonder Woman 84 to me is a, is a movie that has a script problem. It has an internal logic problem. It is a bit of a mess and, and fails to make sense in a lot of different places. It is also, and it is a movie that disappointed me and I don't think is a good movie, but it's also a movie to me that does have upside. Like there are definitely enjoyable moments in that film and they're yeah. definitely good thing. I still love the chemistry between Chris Pine and Gal Gadot. I, I think whenever they're in a scene together, I think that works. I love the flying over the fireworks stuff. I liked a, a lot, some of the action stuff. Look, there are things to like in this movie. It's not the dumpster fire that I think some people make it out to be. It's just, for me, at the end of the day, it's just not good. And it uh, it disappointed, and it should have been better, and I think it was their bad day at the office. Rob, now that you've had a few weeks to really sit on it and stew on it and hear all the conversations about it, wh where do you finally land on Wonder Woman 84? I find it baffling, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I find, you know, uh, uh, the idea of Diana going into exploring man's world and showing up in world war one and dealing with the trench warfare in Europe, the war to end all wars, I thought was really interesting and really compelling. And I would have liked to have seen that idea. Uh, obviously wonder woman was big during world war two. Uh, there's a lot of iconography of the character during the war. I'm surprised they didn't continue on with that idea and they turned it into this weird, total fantasy. I mean, Wonder Woman already is the daughter of Zeus, you know. But but to 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 give us a story that I, as a human being, as a as a as a astute viewer, there was nothing in it that I could latch onto and find find it compelling. Even the way they portrayed the whole wish thing, Diana didn't even really make a wish. She was just kind of in the proximity of this wish stone and she kind of like, you know, if you had a wish, what would it be? Well, I'd wish for Steve Trevor to come back. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even her own agency. The story really wasn't about her. It was about how she was reacting to a bunch of weird stuff that was happening. Whereas wonder woman, the first one was, she was front and center and her desire to leave and why she went there and her odyssey of learning about the world that she had never seen and what it was like to work with a group of, of men that the whole team spirit of that. I, I loved all that. It was like, and this movie was so far removed from the first wonder woman that I just, 
I, it did not resonate with me or connect with me in any way, shape, or form. And I also just didn't buy the story. I'm like, what? what is this gobbledygook? What is it? Yep. It's certainly one that could have been done better, no but doubt. Like anyway, you said, dude, I love Gal Gadot. I love her playing the role. But she wasn't I, – I, and I love the way she looks. She looks great in the costume. And I love the, the image of Wonder Woman. I, I love her as a character. And I did like the Steve Trevor stuff. But it was like, okay, they don't leave fueled antique jets right outside the Smithsonian, you know, that you can just walk oh, on yeah. the tarmac and fly. And I'm like, the whole movie was full of this. And I'm like, come on, man. You've got to write something better than this. Yeah, it's, to me that the whole I think one of the best analogies I've heard about that scene about, you know, just a fully fueled all you need to do is get in the front door of the Smithsonian and you can walk right through, go onto the runway with a fully fueled military jet ready to fly. And the other thing about Steve Trevor who yeah, is a pilot but didn't fly since 1917, the best analogy I heard of that is like take somebody out of the early 1900s who knew how to use a typewriter. Now bring them to modern day and put them in front of a MacBook Pro say, go ahead. And they just know how to use it. It's like, it just made, anyway, we could nitpick. I don't want to nitpick anymore. It's, no, I know it's done. It's time to move on. All right. Thanks for that, Scott. Next up, uh, James Germain writes, Hey, John, happy new year. Thank you so much, James. I appreciate that. Uh, am I the only one that noticed that, uh, Gemma Chan is playing Cersei, but was also Captain Marvel. We talked about this on the show the other day, but was also in Captain Marvel as Min Irva, uh, was uh, Cersei secretly disguised as Kree in Captain Marvel or or what? Please explain. Pitter-patter, let's get at her. Oh, no, it's, it's look, no one is going to... We talked about this before. Gemma Chan, who is like just one of the most drop-dead male or female, one of the most drop-dead gorgeous creatures on the face of the earth, um, who was also great, by the way, in Crazy Rich Asians. But... She was completely in makeup. No one is no one is going to watch Eternals and be confused. She looks very, very different in, in Eternals. She's not playing the same character. Um, she is the same actress. And this isn't the first time that we've had a performer play different roles in the same movie universe or in the same television universe, right? We've seen that several times. So it's really not going to be an issue. It's not a point of contention. So no, it's just at, at the actress is playing two different characters, but it is indeed two different characters. And again, because her character in Captain Marvel was so makeup heavy, there's not going to be any confusion with the audience. It's so it'll, it'll be perfectly fine. I just love any opportunity. I get to see Gemma Chan on screen. It's just, just that simple. All right. Thanks for that, James. Next up, uh, Tony Riaz writes, uh, one afternoon, I decided to order a pizza, always a good choice, uh, and check out your movie trailers, a love story. I must say I was genuinely entertained. Two thumbs up uh, to you and everyone else involved. Any other upcoming movie projects you have planned? Well, first of all, Tony, thank you so much for checking out the movie. I appreciate that. It was a lot of fun to make. Uh, I do have plans that are still kind of gestating a bit, but I do have plans uh, not exactly the same thing, a little bit different. We'll l let me get further into the new year. I'm about to move and all that kind of stuff. By the way, iconic reactions just sent in a super chat badge on the live chat. Thank you for that. Iconic reactions. I appreciate that, man. Uh, but you know, this is a good opportunity to say, you know, on this show, there's another movie coming, a Jewish dance <laughs> comedy family film called Tango Shalom movie. You Rob had been working on. For a long time, a long you've been time. working on this film. The trailer is now out, and 
Just give everybody the quick elevator pitch here on Tango Shalom. Well, I used to like to call the movie a Jewish spiritual quest family dance comedy fable. And it really is a family movie. And the trailer, you can find the trailer at Tango Shalom, the movie on YouTube. And the trailer starts playing right away. But if you click on it, you can watch the whole thing. And the, you know, it's, it's totally an indie film. The plot of the movie is a, it's about a Hasidic rabbi. There you go. A Hasidic rabbi who, who hears the word of God and he believes God has told him he must learn to dance the tango. <laughs> the thing is, he's a Hasidic rabbi, so he can't touch another woman other than his wife. And he meets a very young, hot dance instructor played by Karina Smirnoff, who was on Dancing with the Stars for 20 seasons. And the question is, does he does he compromise his religious beliefs and dance the tango uh, and heed the word of God, or does he not? And his his family doesn't want him to do it. They all think he's crazy. His community doesn't want him to do it. The Grand Rebbe doesn't want it, him to do it. And then he sort of has a... He meets a Muslim imam. He talks to a Catholic priest. He meets a Sikh mystic, a traveling mystic. So they all sort of advise him. So it's it's basically the movie ultimately preaches tolerance and and uh, it's a like you said it's a family comedy, but it's also about inclusion and diversity and respect for all belief systems. And what's interesting to me when the movie was started years ago, it wasn't as relevant as it is now. So mm -hmm. I think it maybe maybe it was part of the plan all along that we had to wait to put the movie out. But I dropped the trailer uh, on Friday, last Friday, and it seems to be the response is good. I don't know how many people on this channel would dig it. Um, I bet your moms and dads and grandparents would dig it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, and that's but good enough. Fun. All right, guys, thanks a lot for writing that in, Tony Rios. And thank again, thank you for checking out the documentary. I really appreciate it. All of you should go and check out the documentary. All right, next up. Uh, Dark Knight Rises writes, Hey, John, I notice a little thing Robert Redford seems to do in several films. It's kind of a quick double look, a sideways or look back. It's a little signature thing of his. Why does he do it? I think, you know, I, you notice the same thing with a number of actors. Let's go to an extreme situation. Let's say The Rock, right? The Rock has certain mannerisms that he likes to engage in and do that we see from film to film. It's just a part of the way he naturally reacts to things. I think when you look at other actors as well, like um, you look at a guy, Ryan Gosling has a few things that are very uh, consistent with him. And by the way, Kevin Southers, uh, uh, Strothers, I, Strother writes, uh, or sent in a uh, super chat badge in the live chat, and as did Iconic Reactions again. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate that. Um, so I think it's just part of them incorporating themselves and what they do into the character as well. And most of, most actors do that as well. So I think that's something you'll notice that in, in Robert Redford, also when you see him outside of the movies as well. So I just think it's normal part of that. Rob, what do you attribute stuff like that to? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that, that it's hard to say. I, 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 you know, people don't, people just want to work and create and make stuff in their lives. I mean, isn't that what, what, what it's all about? I would think. Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I mean, why do you, you, you know, you know, we live in a, a world, dude, I can't believe that Clint Eastwood is directing and starring in a movie at 92. He's going to be, he was 90 last year. So he's going to be 91 this year. The dude's still working. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. All right. 
let's move on here. Next one up, we've got uh, Bully McGuire writes, Hey, John, first time tipper, long time viewer. Thank you so much, Bully. Good to have you here, man. A uh, quick story. I'm adopted, so my parents are in their late 60s, and my dad is a ginormous Beatles fan. When watching yesterday, he cried seeing John Legend. It was awesome seeing so happy movie magic. Well, listen, one, you, you point out a great thing, Bully, that I always go back to. Every movie, no matter how big or small, whether it's Endgame or Tango Shalom, no, ma no movie, no matter how good or bad, whether it's The Godfather or whether it's, I don't know, Dude, Where's My Car? Uh, and Guy from King's Highway sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Um, no matter that, the art of movies and putting a story on screen will touch everybody in different ways. That means there's going to be some, every movie or TV show or whatever is going to hit somebody in a very special way, some more than others. Whether it's watching like yesterday or whether it's watching for me, uh, a, a movie that is very key on that is a movie like, um, let's say, uh, a movie like uh, Clerks 2. Clerks 2 is, is another really good example of something like that for me. And it just hits us all in different ways and it makes it very special. And I'm glad your dad had that ex example or had that experience with yesterday. And I hope they have many more. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, next one up is Andy Hong, who writes, uh, Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester just won the first Critics' Choice Super Awards for Best Actor in a horror, horror Series, beating out Jonathan Majors and Michael K. Williams from Lovecraft Country and even his co-star Jared Padalecki. And again, the, the the thing is for me, Rob, when you look at stuff like that, it's it's completely irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. I I don't give any credence to the super the critics super awards. To me, that is just an example of them desperately trying uh, to appeal to a demographic who generally isn't watching their show. They're not doing it because they really feel that stuff needs to be honored. They're doing it because. Uh, they just, they think that's the only way they can do it. And here, listen, guys, it looks like the problem that YouTube said was fixed is not fixed. It is once again, uh, we are having streaming issues right now. So what we are going to do is wrap up the show. Now I will get a hold of YouTube. I thought they had this problem fixed. It looks like it's happening again. I will get a hold of them and see what's going on, but we will wrap up today's show for now. Hey guys, listen. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the show today. We will continue to get caught up on your questions in a companion video a little bit later today. But for now, we're going to sign off uh, just because the streaming isn't going so well. And if you're watching this show after the fact, there's no problem. You're thinking, what's the problem, Campia? In the live stream, it looks like we're having an issue right now. So I will get a hold of YouTube again and see what the heck is going on. Anyway, guys. That will do it for me for this installment of the John Campia Show. Thank you so much for being here. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.